Good morning. Welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel today is from the 16th chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do now? The, my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me back into their houses. So he called each of his master's debtors, and he asked the one, how much do you owe my master? He said, 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it for 400. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? And a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended this dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And whoever can be trusted with very little can be also trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your property? Who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Gospel of our Lord. And again, I invite you to pray with me together this morning, our Holy Spirit prayer as we gather together in our time of meditation. <clears throat> Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, Granted by that same Holy Spirit, we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I know that uh, there are a lot of other pastors and biblical scholars and um, theologians that are standing right next to me today. I'm standing in good company who've all come to the conclusion that this particular parable is considered to be one of the most troubling and baffling parables ever told by Jesus. One of the comments that I read was out of the Jewish annotated New Testament, where it says, this parable defies any fully satisfactory explanation. I agree. <laughs> Another pastor wrote, I think it's the hardest parable that Jesus ever told. Whoever those lectionary gurus were out there, who they, whoever they are, I'm not sure why they included this particular passage in our lectionary series. But here we go. 
Uh, I took a little survey last night. How many of you read the gospel lesson before you come to church? How many of you actually know what's going to be read? Yeah, kind of what I thought. Uh, I'll, I'll join the rest of you because back in the day when I had the view from the pew, like you, um, rarely did I ever read the gospel lesson in advance of coming to church. So it was always kind of a mystery and kind of a surprise to me what the, what the passage was going to be that day. So um, I don't know how this passage hit you today, but I'm sure that maybe something through your head was kind of going, whoa, uh, did Jesus actually tell this parable? Doesn't quite make sense. But you see, that's, that's a part of our Western thinking. Because you see, one of the things that we in the Western world have been very good at over the last several thousand years, well, I guess a couple thousand anyway, is that we have become very good at theologizing. We've, been, we've, been, we've become very good at Godologizing about thinking about, reflecting upon God and Jesus and how that relates to our lives. All you got to do is go to, a, go to a seminary library and you'll see an entire library at our seminaries that are filled with books upon books upon books about how people in our Western thinking have done all of this writing and, and rationalizing and trying to understand and put together sense out of what it is that Jesus has been trying to say to us over all of these years. And so and I think in a certain sense, this particular passage today is one of those that we are offended by in a certain sense because it doesn't make sense especially when we think about these words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Because we, in our Western thinking and our theologizing about Jesus and about God, is that we've come to have certain understandings about who Jesus and God is in our lives. Jesus stands for goodness and truth and faithfulness and compassion and mercy. Could Jesus even begin to tell a parable in which at first hearing it sounds as though Jesus is condoning and approving of a dishonest manager? It defies logic. It defies rational thinking. Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Jesus does it all the time. It's just that today's lesson is one of them that just kind of hits home a little bit harder than most others. I mean, okay, yeah, this, this parable defies logic. This parable defies rational thinking. But oh, by the way, did you happen to read the parable that just precedes this one? From last week, we had the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, and then we had the story that wasn't read last week at the end of chapter 15 of the story of the prodigal son, or some people call it the prodigal father, depending upon your understanding of how you hear that parable. 
I mean, think about it. Talk about parables that aren't logical. What father, what father in their right mind, do you know any father out there in their right mind who would liquidate one-third of his entire estate? Because that's what they did back then. Because, you see, if there were two sons or whatever, usually, the number one son would get two-thirds of the estate and the number two son would get one-third of the estate. What father in their right mind would liquidate one-third of the estate and then hand it over to his son and, and then on top of it all, allow that son to leave and to squander that money on loose living and extravagant spending? And then, on top of it all, what defies logic even more is that the same father, he welcomes with open arms the son who ran off and squandered and wasted all of that money. There's very little about this parable of the prodigal son that seems rational or logical at all. And yet, somehow, we seem to think that this is one of the best parables ever said because, you know, even, even though it defies rational thinking and logic, we don't seem to take much offense at this particular parable at all. Perhaps it has something to do with our hope that no matter how often we fall short of the glory of God, that we, we trust that we will be welcomed into the loving arms of the grace and the mercy of God as well. I, I reminded myself yesterday as I went back and reflected upon the words from the 55th chapter of Isaiah. And in a certain sense, it kind of gives me a little bit of a better sense of an understanding of how it is that Jesus and God can share stories and parables that don't Defy, that defy logic, where we read in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, where God reminds us, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration, he says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And further on, the Lord declares, that my word that comes from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I sent it to do. I think the place where this particular parable today takes and brings us into this sense of feeling a, a sense of offense is in the eighth chapter where it says that at the end of the parable, Jesus makes this summary statement. He says that the master of this dishonest manager, he praised him for doing a shrewd thing because the people of this world are much more shrewd in handling their affairs than the people who belong to the light. And this is where something needs to be made very clear, I think. Jesus, Jesus is not, Jesus is not suggesting or condoning that we should be dishonest. In the parable, the master, he's not commending the manager for being dishonest. Rather, he's commending the manager for being shrewd. I think there's a fairly, there's a very 
strong distinction there. He's commending him for being shrewd. And yet, that word in and of itself also, when we hear that word shrewd, it, it has a negative connotation. Although when you look at the Greek, you look at the Greek word in the New Testament, it comes from a word pronounced phronimus. And the, the, the definition, and if you look in the Greek lectionary, the definition of this word phronimus means it has to do with your mental and your psychological faculty of thoughtful thinking. Oftentimes with the implication of being wise or prudent. So when we hear it, and we read it in that sense of the word, what we're hearing is, is that the master is commending the dishonest manager for his thoughtful planning, for his wise and his prudent thinking and acting. So may, maybe, maybe a better word to use might be that the master approved of his wise and prudent thinking and acting. I wish they would have put that in the Bible rather than shrewd, don't you? <laughs> Here, it took me three minutes to explain that to you. But the question, the question or the challenge that I hear from this parable in this summary statement that follows is, how are we prudent? How are, we, how are we wise and shrewd in the ways in which we live out our faith convictions and practices? I'm not sure if we ask ourselves that question very often. Have you ever wondered why certain people in this world are successful in their business? It's because they're driven. It's because they're passionate. It's because they set goals and they set projections into the future on how it is that they're going to grow their company. And they, they manage their money wisely. And they invest their money wisely. And they do all of this over an extended period of time to the point where they actually acquire significant wealth and they become very successful in life. It's because they are shrewd. It's because they are wise. It's because they are prudent in their way of conducting their business. And I think what I'm hearing Jesus say today is, if the Christians of this world, if we were as wise and as prudent and as thoughtful in our planning, perhaps, maybe, we, what? We what? The other phrase that Jesus seems to be introducing, or at least this is one of the few phrases in Scripture where Jesus uses this term, it's taken until the 16th chapter of Luke before we actually hear Jesus introduce this term or this phrase. He refers to this group of people 
as the children of light or the people who belong to the light. Now, that, that concept is not necessarily foreign to us because for those of us who love the Gospel of John, the light image is everywhere. You know, it's, it's, I think it's even in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John. And then Jesus, in the eighth chapter of John, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then later on in the twelfth chapter, Jesus says, For a little while longer the light will be amongst you. Walk while you have the light. While you have the light, believe in the light so that, it may become, so that you may become children of the light. There's that phrase again, children of the light. So it's not necessarily a phrase that was unfamiliar to people, but I, the one thing that I still find quite intriguing and very interesting is, is that Jesus is introducing these phrases and these thoughts into the hearts and the minds of people who have not yet even become his followers, who are not even technically call themselves Christian yet. And yet Jesus is throwing out these very interesting little phrases to give us some time to think about them. Now, obviously, in our you know, last 2,000 years, in all of our theologizing and Godologizing, we've done a lot of thinking about what it means to be children of the light. And maybe you've actually read a few books about it yourself. But I do think that it would be a good practice for us. And I do wonder, I don't do it often enough. I did it this morning. First thing I did when I got up this morning is I, I went out into my little office area and I sat down for a little bit of quiet time and I started saying to myself, child of the light, child of the light. How can I be a child of the light today? And I wonder if that's something that we shouldn't do on a more frequent basis, maybe even on a daily basis. Maybe that should become our daily mantra from now on. From here on out, from this day forward, for the rest of your life, your daily mantra is going to be, when you wake up in the morning, is that you're going to say to yourself, and you're going to remind yourself that you are a child of the light. You are a child of the light. What difference might that make in your life? What difference might that make in my life if I wake up every morning and I remind myself that I am a child of the light? As children of the light, does that imply that our lives should be motivated by some form of planning? Some kind of forethought as to how we enter into our daily lives? One of the things I said to the young people last week at the 10 o'clock service was I introduced them back into that little song from Godspell from 1971. Day by day, day by day, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more near thee. Maybe that should be a part of our daily mantra as well as we put God first every day in our lives. You know, and, and maybe, another way of, maybe another way of asking it is, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? Whatever that is, do it. 
Bud, Bud's really good at answering the question, how you doing today? He says, I'm grateful. You know? We've got people in this church that spend hours upon hours on end every day crocheting prayer shawls because they're good at it. Because they're a child of the light and because they know that that prayer shawl that they are making, it's going to be wrapped around someone's shoulders someday when they're sitting in a hospital bed or in a nursing home or a cancer treatment center and they're going to sense the presence of God in their lives because somebody had the passion and the energy and enthusiasm and loved to prayer, to crochet prayer shawls. We've got people in our woodshop ministry who are passionate about making those little palm crosses. They, they probably do it every single day. Dick Newark is at home this morning out in his garage cutting out prayer palm crosses and routering them and sanding them down and making them nice and smooth. And then he puts a little shellac on top of them and then we give those out to people. He's good at it. He's passionate about working with wood. And it's, a, it's one of the ways in which he's the light of the world. Think about those things that you're good at, those things that you're passionate about. I think that's what Jesus is really trying to say here, is that he's encouraging us to be prudent, and to be wise about the gifts that we have and to use them to be the light in the world. We are the representation of Jesus in the world. We are. We bring light into the world by our very presence. And we need to acknowledge that more often. I think this is a good week. I think this is a good week. And it's a great opportunity for us to ask some of those questions. And I want to challenge you to just take a few moments this week to go back and read through the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the dishonest manager, even though they seem quite irrational and illogical. And just take some time to live into those parables with the understanding and the perspective that you're not going to always fully grasp what they really mean for your life. And maybe even live into a level of discomfort with some of the parables and the sayings of Jesus. But I think this is also another week for us in our walk to simply remind ourselves that we are children of the light. That we are children of the light. And that whatever God's given gifts that we have and abilities that we've got, God is encouraging us to use them to the best of our ability. And let's remember that even though sometimes these words that come out of the mouth of God, even though they sometimes seem illogical and irrational, let us keep in mind that God's ways are not our ways, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and to remember with faith and with confidence in Christ Jesus our Lord, that the words that come from God's mouth, that they will not return to God empty, but they will accomplish what God pleases and will prosper in what God has sent that word to do. Amen.
invite you to pray the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.